welcome to the How to Love the Shit Out of Life podcast. I'm your host, Sally Ann Hurley, and I'll be loving the shit out of a variety of topics with you. I hope each episode brings you insight, inspiration, and positive vibes. So let's get into it. Welcome to another episode of the How to Love the Shit Out of Life podcast. So today I am joined by Daniel Sabanet, who is a filmmaker, photographer, and creative director. Daniel has been creating pieces of art since his teens and throughout his career has produced countless music videos and short films. Daniel is passionate about bringing different visions to life and I cannot wait to chat to him today. So welcome, Daniel. Hey, Sally. How are you? I'm well. How are you going? Very good, very good. We're, uh, we're all keeping it together in these yes. uh, interesting times. <laughs> yes. So just for our listeners, um, Daniel is currently in self-isolation post-trip to Dubai, yes. was it? Yes, that's right. Yeah. Yes. So even though he does have a little bit more free time on his hands, he is generous to give us his free time this morning. <laughs> You know, it all, it all just kind of coincided, right? Because <laughs> we planned this a while ago. It's, it's it worked out really well, yeah. <laughs> so I thought maybe to start off we could get some of your earliest memories about falling in love with creating and I guess specifically film. Wow, well, how much time do we have? Oh, all the time in the world. <laughs> um, I, look, I guess, I guess for me it, it really came from acting. Acting was, was really what I was mainly in, into. So as a young kid, you know, you know, as the normal story goes, you're four, you're five, six, whatever, you're at that kind of age where you're exploring your creativity, you're a little performer, you know, you like making people laugh and, <clears throat> yeah, you like making people laugh and all that kind of thing. So for me, it was very much that that I loved about entertaining. It was being an actor. It was making my family laugh, my friends laugh, all that kind of thing. And um, during the time, you know, the early, the late 90s, mid-90s to late-90s, that, you know, putting your child into acting wasn't something that most parents would really be wanting their kids to be doing. Yeah. So naturally didn't happen for me. So when I was around, I guess, ooh, maybe 11 or so, mm-hmm. um, around, the, around the early Harry Potter times when the oh, Harry yeah. Potter's Philosopher's Stone came out, around that sort of time, yeah. I, um, I remember my parents brought home the first... Movie, like the movie, the actual movie. Like I'd since read all the books and everything, so the yeah. movie came out, and I didn't get to watch it because it was M15 and all the rest of it. So naturally, I my parents had to watch it first to make sure there was nothing in there. So um, I I listened to them watch the movie this one particular night that they brought it home wow. through the the walls. So I heard the movie through the walls, and I just remember um, hearing the entire movie before I even saw it. And that did something. It did something to me in a way that, mm. that completely changed my life in a sense where now audibly I can listen to anything and I will visualise instantaneously something. Wow. That's a moment, like an actual story. So mm. I would get a story in my head within seconds based on what I hear. Mm. So that um, behaviour, I guess I was, you know, a, a young kid in bed, I'd ask for the CD, the actual soundtrack for Harry Potter, Philosopher's right. Stone. And I'd be listening to that on my little, uh, you know, those um, boombox CD players with the tape yes. players in it back then, you know, before Walkman's really kind of happened. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So I, I'd lug that big thing up on my bed and I'd, you know, have the big extension cord connected to the PowerPoint and I'd be 
listening to that CD um, every night before I go to sleep. And I would imagine uh, this, the visuals of Harry Potter. Mm -hmm. And I just imagine with the music, the scene, I'd reimagine the scenes that I did watch when I eventually watched the film. Mm -hmm. Anyway, so from that point, around 11, 12, 13, that kind of, you know, went on where I was still kind of enjoying a bit of drama and, and did drama class and the rest of it, but I was also finding my, my visual language outside of me being a performer. Right. But the sun was around 15, 16 in high school, so around year 10, year 11. Um, uh, by that point, I'd already mucked around with, you know, uh, recreating little film scenes off mobile phones such as, you know, the ring where she climbs yes. out of the TV. Oh yeah, I used to do that with my cousins. <laughs> I'd grab my cousins and, you know, I'd already learned um, how to kind of edit by that point, but I'd, I'd grab my cousins and say, you know, do this, do that, and I'd kind of edit it to make it look like she's coming out of the TV. That kind of shit used to do. Yeah. But um, I guess really where the, where the whole film stuff started was, you know, taking that, you know, um, love for music and visualising mm -hmm. in consideration there was this one particular time in year 10, the end of year 10, where everyone would go to either some form of camp, some sporting thing or whatever, yeah. you know, through the holidays. Yes. <clears throat> anyway, so I hate sport and always have. <laughs> so <that wasn't> <laughs> and, um, and so there was going to be a drama class that was on offer, but apparently not enough people had signed up for this drama class. So then they turned the drama class into a movie-making class. So <laughs> random. And there was about maybe four of us, four or five of us. And this uh, art teacher at the time, or English teacher at the time, was like, look, we're going to um, uh, create a film. Mm -hmm. I'm going to teach you how to use the, well, you know, you're going to kind of self-teach, but you've got two weeks to do it. To make this film, we're going to film a little movie. Uh, we ended up filming a horror film out in, the, out in some bushes somewhere. And then we learned how to edit ourselves, all four of us, edited our own version of the film. And that's when I learnt Adobe Premiere for the first time. So this was going around maybe 2007, wow, 2006, yeah. 2007, somewhere. Anyway, so I that's when I first learned how to edit video on mm -hmm. that software. Now, um, I'd made that film, and then from that point, I'm like, I really enjoyed this. I found a new way of entertaining people because mm -hmm. I'd created this little horror movie with all this music and all the rest of it, <laughs> things that I loved, and I was able to get some really good reactions from people, including mm. teachers, friends, and family, whatever, and the way I presented this thing. So I'm like, okay, I like that. I like that. So then I kind of found every reason possible to do more of it. So yeah. my end of year, <clears throat> my year 12 um, art um, assessment was a film. Um, I'd also did my first, uh, another film as well in school for uh, their first short film competition, which only two people entered. I was one of them. And um, managed to win a, my, uh, my first full HD video camcorder, oh, awesome. which is what the school gave me. So mm -hmm. when I was like 17, so year 11, year 12, around that kind of time. But um, I, from that point, I then made this particular film while I was in year 12 that ended up winning um, at this New South Wales Department of Education film festival. Um, that was my first film festival that I'd won for mm -hmm. a film. Um, then scored the school a one of those smart boards back in the day. They didn't really exist yeah. well, everywhere. So I won the school a couple of those. Um, and then, yeah, so that for me, honestly, was like, okay, everyone else is winning sports awards and all these other academic shit. Yeah. But I, I wasn't really vibing the whole maths. I loved my English. <clears throat> I loved my, yeah, I, lo I, I wasn't a big fan of sports. So I was like, cool, I found 
something that's unique to me. Yeah. And it was this stuff. Oh. So yeah, so man, by the time I graduated, I had entered at least three film festivals, um, won awards from all of them from this one particular film that I'd done. Uh, and it kind of added uh, volumes of excitement and opportunity in my mind that potentially this could be how I could live the rest of my life. So from that point, um, uh, yeah, I, I, so I also made friends with a very, very dear person to me, um, like a second mother to me. Wow. Uh, her name is Marcerano, who is also my current acting agent, doing a bit of acting days, and, uh, but has been my mentor and friend and all that stuff. Since I was around 16, um, <clears throat> she basically I went to see her when I was old enough to go work. Mm. and uh, make my own kind of decisions. I went to see her to see if acting was still a possibility for me. Yeah. So, and she was an acting agent back then as well. And just to give everyone an idea, I'm 28 now, so that, that was a while ago. Yeah. And um, so I'd seen her, and I'd maintained friend, friend, a friendship with her. Now, by the time I was in year 12, um, I was 18, I'd shown her this film that I'd entered in the festivals and blah, 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 and she was like, why don't you look at being a film director? And she was really the one that kind of, the first adult that actually kind of advised me yeah. that potentially should take that as a, as a direction in life. Now, she kind of affirmed something to me mm. when that happened. And I didn't know what to do. Like, at the time, my, my father was, you know, really wanting me to do architecture and all that kind of thing, which, yeah. you know, I'd loved designing houses on, in the 3D programs on computers and all that as well. Like, I loved that. Yeah. So my father was really gravitating me towards that. But um, then I'd, I decided that I wanted to do film because Sonia was like, you know, you, you, could do, you could do it. You know, you've got great skill, great talent for your age, blah, blah, blah. And all you need to do is go study at a film school. Mm-hmm. And there's opportunities for you to do that once you leave. So I did that. Yeah. As soon as I left high school, started yeah. my college. Yeah. It's so important, yeah. I think, to have, and I think a lot of creatives um, would attest to this, to have a mentor or several mentors that people that, I mean, they don't necessarily have to be older, but I guess someone who is a bit more experienced maybe in the industry and just to have that, you know, yes. that one person that said to you, hey, I think you should do this, and you obviously trusted her. Um, of course. Yeah, I think that is so important. I mm-hmm. also just want to say I love that Harry Potter story that you told. <laughs> I think that is so cool. Yeah. And I, I kind of felt like it's a bit similar to, you know, obviously as a writer I read a lot of books. And when I was a kid I read a lot of fiction. And I, I kind of saw a connection between the way when you read a book and you come up with, you know, the visuals and how it would look in your brain and, and in your imagination to the way that when you were listening to that, film through the, the wall and then listening to the music soundtrack that you were creating visuals in your mind? <laughs> um, so, so something that I, I uh, learned, which later on in life, well later on in life, did, I, did actually make sense. But, mm. you know, when, when composers make this music, they're in an emotional state. Yes. They're thinking of stories just as much as we do when we write or when we do anything like that. They're thinking of stories and, and an emotional reaction to a story in a moment. When they're creating this music, Mm. And I was tuning into that. I might not have been thinking the exact same storyline that they yeah. were thinking. I was feeling the emotions that yeah. they were playing at those particular moments. And that, that is what I was tuning into when I was visualizing. Mm. I could tell when 
a part of that music was something of tension and it was someone receiving bad news mm. or it was someone having an awakening, someone evading an escape. You can kind of tell, you can kind of visualize these moments and these pivotal, pivotal changes in the, the, the sound. Mm. So, yeah, that's something that, that's something that I, I didn't realize I'd picked yeah. up all those, but it makes sense now. But yeah. Oh, yeah, and I guess that's the power of music, you know. It's, it mm-hmm. really does. I mean, you think about, I know there were silent films back in the day, but um, mm. what music does in television and film, uh, it's, it is really, it sometimes just makes a scene what it is or takes it to that next level. Exactly. I thought maybe if you want to take us through just some of the things you've done in your career. I mean, I know it's, it's been, as you're saying, you've been doing things since your teens, but maybe once you started you know, really getting into creating things post-studying, um, just some of the things mm-hmm. that you've done in your time. Um, well, it's an interesting one because I probably led a bunch of conventional filmmakers' journey. Mm. Um, I love business just as much as I love creativity. So I've got this <clears throat> balanced kind of logic and uh, expression kind of mindset. Yeah. And shortly after uh, leaving college, I, for, the, for that at least two years, I was heavy, heavy in music videos. So I'd, be, I'd quickly kind of built a name for myself in Sydney's industry, producing music videos uh, primarily for artists that came off the TV shows, like um, The Voice and Australia's Got Talent, whatever they were. Yeah. They'd come off the show. They'd be in the top 12, top six. They'd want to leverage their uh, exposure. They'd have a song. We'd do a music video. So I'd started there, um, and I, that's where I'd actually also met um, a really good friend of today as well. He's an A&R manager called David Caplice. So he's worked for Sony and Warner's. Um, he's the guy that created Human Nature, all this kind oh, of stuff. Awesome. <clears throat> yeah, so he, um, back then, he kind of discovered my skills and brought me on as his chosen video guy, you know, mm-hmm. to create these music videos for these artists. Right. So that did a whole bunch of that. Um, but then... Halfway through that, around 2014, I got offered to be part of a business partnership with someone who was interested in building a production company. That kind of travelled for about a year, year and a half, two years. Um, and ever since that point, well, actually a little bit earlier, it would be around 2013, um, around that point, I started to um, utilise my logic uh, and analytical side of my personality right. um, a lot building business, startup conditions, um, basically having to play all hats, marketing mm-hmm. operations, HR, all those kinds of things, and really learning what it's like to not just run a business on yourself, but run a business that is with the intentions of growing, that has investment, that's got all those kinds of things. So it was kind of, you know, learning off this other person. Um, you know, not everything turned out the way we wanted it to turn out. The business didn't kind of work the way we wanted it to work. Well, we wanted it to work, so it didn't go ahead. Um, and then from that point, I went back into freelancing. I did a bit of corporate work and through the corporate work is where I learned, um, another element of structure. Um, and I'd met, uh, a few other key people that are now also in my life. Um, there's about four of them. They're all CEOs of different corporate companies wow. that are doing quite well in the marketing property and, um, IT industry. So those people have been up to now big, uh, influential, um, big influences in my life as far as business goes. Um, so I, I would say for the most part, um, 
it's been a delicate balance between being choosy of the creative work that I do, but experimenting a lot and risk-taking a lot in business ventures that don't always get promoted or shown online because why would you? Um, but, I mean, that's where a lot of my time has always been consumed, really discovering who I am as a businessman, not just mm. a creative. And, you know, I'd, I'd learned as well pretty early on, even in college, that um, you can't just, if you want to have full control of your life and your creativity, um, it's not enough just to be that creative that sits behind the computer. Yeah. You actually need to be able to communicate, delegate, negotiate, um, uh, have the, the business uh, knowledge on playing that side of the, the world. You can't yeah. just be ignorant to the fact that those people also exist. So for the most part, man, that, that they've been my, my, that's been my journey. Yeah. It's been a, a, a literal side-by-side, you know, um, Bruce Wayne, Batman type situation <laughs> where I'm this, but I literally have to be the other thing too, yeah. 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 I think that's a really important message to put out there because I know when I was, you know, studying journalism and there were a few people that were in my class and they kind of just were like, I want to do freelance writing and I want to be a creative writer and do all this stuff. And it's like, but you also need to know, you know, the, the admin side of it and the business mm well because I mean Mm. you're gonna pay someone to do that stuff for you that's very expensive (laughs) Mm -hmm. that's right that's right and you need to also look at these things with with an essence of okay I'm 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 I am okay with things not going to plan yes Uh, I am okay with learning shit's gonna hit the fan in some area things are gonna be amazing like yeah also it builds it builds stamina and it builds a thick gut thick skin Iron yeah. gut, you know, that, that terminology that's always floating around in the political business world. Yeah. And it's true because I believe personally from what I've experienced, nine times out of ten, if it's not you restricting yourself, it's another person. Yeah. And if you don't have the iron gut ability to sniff those people out <laughs> or call them out mm. or control your, you know, or, 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 or you know, um, encourage your ideas even through adversity, yeah. then you won't survive in the yeah. industry very long or you'll, you'll end up in a position that you don't want to be in. Yeah. You're stuck. Yeah. Very true. Very true. Mm. So how does being a creative bring you joy and happiness? Um, it's therapeutic. It really is. You know, I, I would consider myself an empath. Um, something, and for those who don't know what empath is, best way I could explain it is that you you understand you can you, you, you can relate understand and interpret another's emotions and mm-hmm. circumstance quite easily um and you put that situation before your own and then it becomes your own so uh I, i'm very sensitive to people um and their thoughts feelings situations and what have you and and helping them and what have you and that's very um it can, it, it can be very exhausting for, yes. for people like us <laughs> yes. because we, yeah, because we take on so much of other people's energies mm. to help them and to help them discover things about them that they might not, that you end up taking all their, you know, they feel good, but you end up taking away all their, all their anxieties and frustrations and, you know, it's just buried inside of you. You know, we're, we're pretty good at kind of handling ourselves on the outside, but at the same time, it just sits inside and, you know, it's not healthy. So for me, creativity's been a, my, my mode of expression to release it 
So whenever I'm, whenever I come across problems with people or society that I seem to be empathizing with, that obviously is absorbed into me. And I now I want to tell the story about it. Mm. I want to get it out and release it. I want to school people or I want to, you know, I want to do something with that information that I've learned, experiences that I've learned. And it's that, that process there. That's yeah. what keeps, you know. Oh gosh, I can relate so much to that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, you would, right? Writing and everything, you know. Yeah. Okay. I know. I get, I get thoughts sometimes where I'm like, I just want to write this, whether it's a book, uh-huh. a, a Facebook post, or a blog, and just be like, everyone, listen to me, because I know I'm right. Hundred percent, hundred percent. And you know, it just even, even, I, I've come to terms with the fact that yes, you know, we might not always be correct in everything, and and I've always taken quite the um, approach as you as you know with journalism as well you, mm. which you're supposed to is to take a, a completely unbiased approach and just yes. provide people information um not not try to subtly push them down any particular agenda which mm. you know as you know a lot of information and content out there is doing that yeah. i've always been one for going I, I, like i understand everyone's in their own journey just like i was and it just, it's pivotal moments in your life where something clicks like the penny drops. And so for me, it's like, well, just provide people the information, whether they see it today or in five years, it's irrelevant. Um, and I think same thing with creativity, when you're pushing an emotion, kind of, kind of, you know, with film, you kind of have to be emotive, like you have to hook them in into an emotional thing. But I think the, the area, depending on what I'm trying to say, usually if I want people to, uh, not wake up to something, but be exposed to an idea. Mm. It's by putting the, wrapping the idea in a way that makes them feel emotionally uncomfortable, yet they want to continue watching it yeah. because they're intrigued. So there is that curiosity factor that I try to spike in people, which yeah. is this feels tense, but I'm curious. This, this feeling makes me uncomfortable, but I'm curious as to know why it's making me uncomfortable. And mm. people didn't start thinking about it. Go, oh, yeah, even if it only lasts five minutes after they've watched the film, doesn't matter. That's okay, they've recepted to it. There's something that they've kind of, you know, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, I guess, I mean, I think you answered a little bit of my next question in that, but how does the work that you do help inspire you to overcome any challenges you face in your life? Um, I guess my biggest challenge, I just think about what my biggest. Look, my biggest consistent challenge is how do I, I feel like I lead for myself a pretty fulfilling life. Like I, I don't need to have all the uh, materialistic things mm. to, to live that life. And yeah, one day um, I'll, I'd like to have all those things, but I don't require it. Yeah. And one of my biggest things is constantly how do I encourage people to lead their fulfilling lives and that's mm. that's my biggest my biggest thing and I guess my my biggest problem with that <clears throat> is how many ways can I different like how many different ways can I possibly get my ideas across yeah. to people to to connect with different types of people to encourage them to lead their best life mm. <clears throat> and that is my biggest thing yeah. um create that that is what I fulfill as something for me creatively that solves any issues that I have. Normally, I don't, anything that I'm going through that is quite personal to me, yeah. um, I generally will not base my creativity around that. A lot, of the, a lot of the things that I base my creativity around is worldly 
yeah. uh, mainstream commonalities between people, if that's even a, a word, but mainstream things between people such as feelings of love, time, um, regret, um, things that are that any, any human being can relate to. Yeah. And I think those things may, are more important to me because I do see the humanity as a worldly item, not, a, not an individual moment-by-moment situation. Right. So, um, you know, um, collective consciousness, ideologies, that for me is my problem that I have to do with every day is looking out into the world and seeing how disconnected people are. And yeah. that's a problem that I, I, it's a problem I put on myself because I feel a certain element of, you know, unspoken responsibility to play a role in helping to fix that. Yeah. Um, and I feel the reason why that is is because I understand it and I can see it. If I'm aware of it and I can see it, then yeah. I feel, you know, I think the same thing. If you are aware of it and you can mm. see that in the world and you are mature enough to understand how to potentially help fix it, then I feel it's almost your responsibility to do so. Yeah. You know and what I mean? I, I'm and guessing you're probably a lot like me and that you can't just look away. <laughs> no, 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 no. I've heard Definitely it. Not. aware of it. It's, it's very much, as you said, maybe a bit of an unspoken responsibility, but it's like once I'm aware of it, I really can't look away from it. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. But I also have respect to other people's uh, journeys. Like, I mean, I, I'm also contr- – and this is where the business logic has helped me really uh, control my actions – yeah. where I take calculated risks between what I share and what I don't share, what I encourage, what I don't encourage, because I also understand that um, not only are we at a macro level in our brains, completely complicated individuals, but we're also complicated when we're all together. And with yes. billions of people in the world that are in division and what have you, you can't just go out there barking your prophecies or your beliefs. Yeah. You need to be a little bit more compellingly strategic Mm. so you're not offending people because your goal isn't to offend people your goal is to just inform people or encourage them that whatever they're feeling doesn't have to be felt if it's something negative or restricting or what have you you know it's it's i almost feel it's not necessarily the information that you want to be drilling into people it's you want to encourage them to understand a better process by which they can retain and understand information because I feel that a lot of people don't have a good process. And by process, it doesn't have to be boring. I mean, it's, con- it's reconditioning people's emotions to not be so guarded, mm. to not be so protective, to not be so survival mode every- with everything that's being um, presented to them, but rather have an open philosophical mindset, which I believe everyone's got the capability of. But fear gets in the way of that. Fear stops you from being philosophical. Fear stops you from delving into um, territories where there isn't a straight answer. Mm. Um, and this is why we do have straight answers, because if there was no straight answers and no facts, then everything would be in chaos. Yeah. But you also need to be accepting that there are things that don't have answers, which ironically we all deal with, like death. <laughs> you know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. So I think, I, I think it's just coming to, uh, to, to terms with the fact that it's everywhere, not just in the mainstream ideas of it, but it's everywhere. As a human being, there is a huge level of uncertainty about you and embracing it and all that kind of stuff. So that, for me, is my biggest challenge, that's, mm-hmm. that's, and that's how creativity kind of helps me through that. Um, mm-hmm. You know, everything else, I kind of, I kind of feel like uh, I, don't, I, I don't base specific... Uh, 
I don't, I don't base my art off specific moments in my life that detail. Yeah. Um, but it more of a, it's more of a, if something has happened in my life, it's not the actual moment, but rather what the moment symbolized yeah. in me. And that's yeah. something that I kind of, because I feel that that part is the more universal component mm. to everybody. Very yeah. powerful. Because I think um, you do hear a lot of creatives, whether it's musicians, writers, um, actors, you know, they do channel their their personal things, like, I guess, like method mm. acting and, and things like that. They channel it into their work. But I kind of like that your perspective is a little bit different to that. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, and, you know, I, I feel... I definitely feel that the world's suffering as a whole mm. is far more powerful than just the individual suffering that we go through. <clears throat> I feel it's kind of selfish if I'm basing everything I put out there on only my circumstances. Right. Because not everyone goes through my circumstances and I'm very biased to my own individual circumstances because yeah. it's me, <laughs> as is everyone else. Yeah, exactly. But, I mean, if you're going to try and change worldly attitudes then you need, to be, you need to kind of not be so narrow with mm-hmm. your challenges and um, go a little bit broader, you know, because there's always an underlining umbrella theory behind oh, yeah. every micro okay. and macro. <laughs> yeah. So can you share with us uh, maybe a couple of your favourite projects that you've worked on? I'm sure this is going to be hard to narrow down. I've stumped you. <laughs> you have stumped me. I, 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 think, I think, look... But it is the reason why it's a hard one is because I feel that in in every instance of projects that I, I really enjoyed and loved, I have kind of done. I've kind of done the same principle of of symbolically sending out some form of message, whether or not someone gets yeah. it or not. I feel like I've kind of accomplished that for myself in those projects. But I wouldn't say I've done projects yet to me that I would be like I have the purpose for which I'm doing this for I don't feel like I've yet done in my career like for me you know my version of that is creating Hollywood feature films like avatars and Titanic yeah, yeah. films like that that have broad uh, uh universal worldly impact that for me is when I would feel like I could say I've done a project that that um you know it was like a something harm. that yeah yeah, I think all the other highlights would just be based on what, like name name dropping stuff. You know, like, <laughs> I think that's a big cool shit. But like, well, I was going to say, like, it you know, sounds like you're you're gunning for James Cameron's. You know, yeah, 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 yeah definitely, hundred percent. Yeah, well, I, you know, with much respect to those guys, you know, they can't possibly be making films for the for the next hundred years. Yeah. So, I definitely see myself playing a, a part, um, or even some form of, you know, uh, always have a role. Mm. In, in, in that circle, whether it's, um, you know, taking the role of, I don't know, I don't like to replace anybody, but, I mean, yeah. that's, that's the level I'm, I am working towards. That's the level I know I'm going to get to. I love it. Um, think big, yeah. dream big. That's Yeah, 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 100%. We, we limit ourselves, so, I think, far too much, and I think in this day and age where there is so much content and creating going on, we need people that want to really push the envelope and... and mm-hmm do really big and important things so I think the things I love about particularly even Christopher Nolan he's he's been a big one that's mm. been on my radar when I was in college for example and you know um you know Memento Inception Shutter Island um mm. films like these yeah. had all, you know from all these other directors who all they you know classic pulp fiction ones the the level of uh at analytical and 
creative intelligence that was put into the script writing and the, uh, the filming, the execution of the mm. cinematography, the editing, the acting, that level of detail just sends shivers up my spine. I love it. Mm. And it's like I, I watch these analyzing them and participating in the thoughts of that director or writer. And that for me is the fun part. That's what I've been inspired by. Films that just have a, that, sh- that, that, that don't just share a, a story that is, uh, oh yeah, you know, I might not go through that one day kind of story. No, they, they share stories and morals and messages that are human based, yeah. that are so deep rooted in our subconscious that all of us have to deal with them, no matter the individual storyline. Mm. And it's, broadly connected around the world so you know like those those guys they they create some really intelligent films yes. and that that from and not only that my business interest is interested because they also make highly profitable films mm. um, which means that their profitable films put them on a worldly stage to be able to influence more people and that's how i see it um, there's a lot of great film directors and writers out there that uh, might not get the view, the viewing that they should. Mm. Um, they might not get the um, influence or reach that their film deserves or that their ideas or whatever it deserves. Yeah. Um, and the way I see the film industry is very much the way I see corporate industries and advertising. Um, there is a structure, there is an mm. expectation that when someone invests $300 million into a film, that there's going to be a return on investment. That's mm. just understanding business. It's yeah. not rocket science. But if you can be the director that can uh, psychologically understand how to connect with people and share the stories that you want to share, but also ensure that you're keeping your, your corporate uh, friends um, uh, happy, then you're able to, I guess, you know, have your cake and eat it too, mm. for lack of better words. Yeah. Because you're, you're able to then put your film out there, you're satisfied because your films reach the world. The story, narrative, the symbology, however people want to take it, it's getting out there to as many people as possible. And you've been able to do it because the only way you you would have been able to do it is with that kind of financing. Yes. And you haven't, you haven't wigged out on that opportunity either. So you've kind of, it's a balance. Again, creative and business balance. Definitely. And that's how I see it. Yeah. Awesome. Mm. So you touched on Christopher Nolan in that. So what other artists or it can just be people in your life inspire you and your work um definitely composers music composers mm-hmm. such as alexander desplat uh mark isham john williams uh Hans Zimmer. um those are my main ones that i listen to mm-hmm. that inspire vision they they are it is they probably play the biggest role for me in in helping inspire ideas mm-hmm. um and i guess you know look the in terms of celebritizing people in my life that are influential outside of that, look, they, there are, I would probably say for the most part, really my friends and family because they, they do, uh, they are very much aware now of what I'm doing and what I, what I want to do and where I'm going. So they don't argue it anymore. Yeah. But they're there for me and they're there to kind of encourage me. So they, they're doing more the, the thing that I need them to do, which is, you know, being that, that mental moral support but the moments when I kind of need that reassurance or perhaps maybe I'm, I'm uncertain about something, they're, they're there yeah. for that. Um, you know, look, the Christopher Nolans and all them, 
I'm inspired by what they've achieved, but I mean, I don't, I, tr- I, I, I personally just don't have an interest so much in following their every move or anything mm-hmm. like that because I'm very much of the belief that if it's coming, I'd rather it come from the universe through my head out of me. Whether or not I've seen something subconsciously and it's inspired me, I don't go out of my way to go, okay, what is this person up to? What ideas can I gain from this person? Yeah. It's more like I just, I still want to maintain my individual art factor. Yes. about what I do, which is, you know, I, I do believe I'm an artist, not just a corporate um, video guy, which, <laughs> which I think, again, is something that I'd like to talk about at some point, which mm. is like the difference between a director and a videographer. But anyway, yeah. um, I think that for me is, um, yeah, that, that's there. Yeah, summarize. <laughs> You've touched on a little bit of obviously you – you want to go big, you want to get into making, you know, big-time Hollywood films. Are there any other aspirations that you have for what you want to create in the future? I mean, you mentioned obviously you started out because you the acting side of it. Is that something that you want to get back into as well? Um, look, maybe. I, I think yeah. for me my, my whole end goal is to be of some form of influence to people in the world around uh, broadening the empathetic and compassionate nature of human beings. Now, whatever avenue life leads me down to make mm-hmm. that happen, cool. Uh, just in a positive way. <laughs> yeah. So as long as life takes me down a, a positive, inspired route for myself to make that happen, whether it's through acting, through film, through business, whatever it ends up as, uh, ultimately, that's my goal. I want to be able to be a voice and participate in a cultural development of human nature in general to be comfortable with being compassionate and empathetic. Man, woman, child or adult, elderly, like it's, there's no difference. There's no excuse or reason why somebody can't put them, their own personal judgments aside or even think about what they're um, potentially thinking about and assess it before actioning it to another person. You know, things like that are just, for me, should be part of humanity uh, and almost needs to be, you know, I guess, re-encouraged. I can see you doing all this. <laughs> oh, you reckon? Very focused. You're very determined. <laughs> I can see you achieving things. But I, I also like that you're not just setting yourself. I mean, I'm sure maybe you have certain goals in your life, but you, you're kind of going with the flow of where things are taking you. I think that's really inspiring. Yeah. yeah. If I, um, if I, if I plan too, too much, then I would, I would drive myself insane yeah. if it didn't happen exactly the way that was supposed to happen. So I have learned to just follow that intuition. And as long as I'm fundamentally on the same path, I'm always creating, I'm always thinking, I'm always, you know, all that kind of stuff. I'm not getting too distracted by things that I need to. Then, you know, I just I intuitively trust that things would fall into place. In summary, how do you love it out of creating? How do I love the shit out of creating? Yeah. Ooh. Well, in my circumstance, <laughs> it just comes, it, it's, uh, well, for lack of relationships in my life in terms of love relationships, <laughs> uh, I guess it replaces that. <laughs> that's, that's a great answer. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, uh, uh, you know unfortunately for some, uh, yeah, my, my love life is my art. <laughs> what uh, other things do you love the shit out of in your life, Daniel? Uh, philosophy, definitely. Definitely philosophy. That's a big one for me. Yeah, if I if I can't have it, I would literally 
dive into a deep philosophical conversation. If you give me a bone to show me that you're even remotely interested, <laughs> be wary, my friend. You're fucking like, you're going down. Sorry. Don't you're going down with me into the rabbit hole. Yeah. What about you? What's yours? Me? Oh, my goodness. There's so many things. I, I mean, I'm going to say something similar. Like, I love a deep and meaningful conversation, and everyone who knows me knows this. And I, like, honestly, when you said at the start, like, how long do we have? If this was to go down that path, <laughs> I would sit here all day. <laughs> yes, yeah. But I think the world needs those conversations. Don't get me wrong. I'm all for, you know, the light the more fluffy things. I mean, I look at cute baby and puppy videos on Facebook as well, and I like just having simple conversations from time to time, but I think Mm. we need more deep conversations about how we can be better people, how we can look out for each other. And and on that topic as well, I know this might be political for some people, but, yeah, we need more men to do that too. Yes. Like I'm kind of sick of being referred to as, oh, Daniel, one of the small percentage of guys out there that actually are you know, connected to your emotions. I'm like, but that's, no, every guy has emotions. We're not, you know, you know, we're not, we're not unhuman, but I mean, I do believe firmly in the change of attitude that guys can completely be able to express their, their deep emotive thoughts or their opinions or have DNMs. Like it's not yes. weak to do that. It's not unheard of. If anything, some of the greatest philosophers of all time were doing that. Yes. So somehow it's been made to be, seen as uh inappropriate or weak or or whatever mm-hmm. and so i something one thing i want to encourage as well is that you know yeah i'm a guy uh i'm very comfortable with talking about my emotions in a, in a kind of not in a, not in a soppy way but I'm, <laughs> i have my limitations yeah, but yeah. i mean <laughs> i can i can deeply go into dnms and have those kinds of conversations and i think more of that it's healing. Don't you feel it's healing when you get to have these conversations? Oh, so healing. That's why I love doing this podcast because, I mean, a lot of the conversations I've had on it do get a little deep at times. And even today we've talked about some really broad, worldly things and it soothes my soul so much. And it yeah. makes sense. Yeah. And at the moment the world is in a really weird, scary place and I have been mm. a little bit, now, I've kind of been cool about it and then a bit anxious about it and it's going up and down and in waves mm. and mm-hmm. this is very soothing and healing for me to talk about this stuff. Yeah, and, and I think it's definitely good for the soul to basically speak up about all things that we are uncertain of, particularly around this time, um, because there is, uh, you know, uh, if everybody were robotics, you know, if everybody were robots, if operated mechanically, you do just feed us information and we would shut up and be okay. But yeah. we're not. We, no matter how much factual information is being provided out there, people are still panicked. People are still unsure. People are still um, uh, emotionally scared, uh, intellectually frustrated. There's a lot going on still. So effectively, there is a large portion of the scenario which is in the unknown. Now, we all know that there are people that know more than us. It's the hierarchy of information. It's not rocket science. It's been happening for eons. Mm. So I think what helps people, particularly people that are on the bottom of the list that don't quite get the information first, setting up platforms for them to be able to have open, non-judgmental conversations to DM about that are productive in just letting people express their unracial, undiscriminatory thoughts yes. about what they don't know about. So then someone can shed light to spark more of a conversation. I think that's how social conversation should be particularly yeah. online um not the way the platforms are running at the moment 
no. it's just barbaric. Yeah. Oh, um, yeah. Don't get me started. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, yeah I, I agree 100%. And, you know, maybe that is a bit of a silver lining that may come out of all this stuff that's going on now. I don't know. I mean, it could go the other way, but I'm hopeful that um, maybe people will start having you know, better conversations. And maybe if, you know, you are isolating at home and you, you've got roommates or you've got family members or even just reconnecting mm. with friends through these digital platforms because obviously we, some people aren't allowed to be going outside and if we do go into a lockdown in this country, that'll be most of us, you know, having mm-hmm. better conversations, you know, with your friends, even if it is via text or, or whatever. Yep. So I think that's a really important yep. point. Um, yep. Sadly, we are at the end of the podcast episode, although I don't think this is the only time you will be featuring on the podcast, Daniel. How can people follow your work or get in touch with you? What are the best ways for them to do that? Um, yeah, well, my main thing is Instagram. I don't really use it. Um, mm-hmm. At underscore Daniel Sebony. Thank you. Oh, thank you, Sally, thank you for having me on. No worries. Thank you. Thank you for loving the shit out of life with me. Don't forget to like the How to Love the Shit Out of Life Facebook page and follow us on Instagram. And if you don't already have a copy of How to Love the Shit Out of Life, the book, you can purchase it now through most major bookstores. Till next time.